Do you ever have a day or time in your life when you feel like everything is working perfectly? You know, everything's falling into place. Everything's happening the way you hope it will happen. Hopefully, we have some of those days. But there are also other days. Days when it feels like nothing is going right. It feels like everything that we think about is disjointed, disconnected. Maybe it's because of um, things we've done. And we're wrestling with guilt and shame, remorse. Maybe it's because of what other people have done to us. And we're angry and hurt and frustrated. Maybe it's just life. You know, it's just stuff happens. Things don't go the way we want them to. I'm thinking about this a lot, quite frankly, as I think about the world in which we live. It seems to be in a downward spiral of violence and war. The apathy about things that are right. And in those moments, in, in the moments when, when I'm feeling it about myself, I'm feeling about what other people may have done to me, I'm feeling about the world, there is a little part of me that's saying, Lord, where are you? What are you doing? Why is this happening? Why is this continuing to happen? And, and there is a fear within me sometimes of feeling maybe even abandoned by God. Or at least, maybe God is turning his face the other way. And the question that comes to my mind is, I think the question that's in the mind of the Israelites at the time of Jeremiah's writing, is there any hope? Does it make a difference? In this 33rd chapter of Jeremiah, we didn't read all of it, but at the beginning of it, Jeremiah is actually in prison. And the Babylonians are pounding down the doors of Jerusalem. And they're in this predicament because their sin has risen to such a level that God finally says, okay, something drastic needs to happen. And he allows the Babylonians to come. They've already taken away a number of exiles back to Babylon. And now they've come to finish the job. They have come to take back all the rest of the people they're going to take, and they've come to completely leave Jerusalem and a lot of the, of the nation of Judah in ruins. And the Israelites are saying, Lord, what's going on? Verse 24, it, we didn't read this as well, but in verse 24, it, God says to Jeremiah, have you heard the, the, the rumor going around? That God chose Israel and Judah set them apart as his people, and now he has abandoned them. Now, you couldn't blame God for abandoning them. I mean, good grief, you look at their history, and they spend much more time rejecting God than they do following God. But they are left desolate, and the imagery is of desolation and barrenness and fear and anxiety And they're asking, is there any hope? Because I don't think they think there is any hope. And into that situation, God speaks. 
And God gives Jeremiah this prophecy, and the prophecy you would expect is, yeah, you're just getting what you deserve, people. Of course, I'm, I'm walking away from you. I've had hundreds of years of trying to, to keep you close to me, and you don't want to be, so I'm going to give you what you want. But instead, the word is, the day's coming when you're going to experience the fullness of hope. And let me paint some pictures for you. It's going to look like this. What This land that's now desolate, no animals, nothing around. The day's coming when you're going to see shepherds and sheep. And going to be, there's going to be prosperity. And where there was barrenness, there's green grass where they can graze and eat. And you can count them. And, and what you feel now of, of uh, completely uh, sorrowful and burdened and no reason to celebrate, in that day, you're going to have wedding after wedding after wedding, and there's no greater celebration than a wedding. And you're going to come together and you're going to rejoice and celebrate, not as people who, who are in a state of lament, but as people in a state of hope and joy. And you're going to live in safety and freedom and restoration. And you're going to know what life is really about. This is the day that is coming. There's hope. And it will be a while before they experience that hope. But God says the day is coming. And the root of that promise is the messenger. The one who was hinted at way back in the Garden of Eden. And it's been spoken of over and over and over again in a variety of ways through, down through the centuries. And now it comes to Jeremiah and he says, the one is coming. He will be just, he will be true, and he will be the catalyst for all of this hope. It is the one about whom Matthew writes. You know, Joseph is in this predicament with Mary. He's discovered she's pregnant. He knows he's not the father. He's just going to quietly back out of this thing because it's embarrassing. And the angel appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, I've got a different plan for you. I'm not sure you're going to like it. But I want you to stay with Mary because she is bearing the one. The one spoken of in the garden, the one spoken of by Moses, the one spoken of by Jeremiah. And he says, this one is going to come for one purpose, to save his people from their sins. He's going to come to bring hope in the midst of despair. He's going to come to bring life where there is death. He's going to come to bring joy where there's sorrow. He's going to bring forgiveness where there's shame and guilt. He is going to bring in, usher in the kingdom in such a way that you can't really imagine it right now in your mind. And this is the one about whom Jeremiah speaks. If you've been in the church very long, I don't think any of that's new to you. But the thing about this word in Jeremiah is that the coming of the, the coming of the messenger, the Messiah, 
is rooted, God says it's rooted in his ability and desire to keep his word. And that's a big deal. You know, we live in a world where most of the time you're not quite sure if people are going to keep their word or not. I find it fascinating that we need, you know, we need so much paper in our culture because that's the only way we can guarantee people are going to do what they say they're going to do. I remember when we were building our house and, you know, the, the, the uh, bank said to us, now who's going to represent you legally in this transaction? And I, you know, it's the first time we've done this and, you know, I was pretty naive and I said to, to her, why do we need a lawyer? Are you going to cheat us? You know, or, I mean, can I not trust you to do what you say you're going to do? And she's like, well, I get what you're saying. We you just have to have a lawyer. That's just the way it is. All right, fine. But, you know, we, we've created this atmosphere in which, which we don't really believe that people are going to do what they say they're going to do. I mean, how many times have you seen ads for investment companies and they tell you how great their investment company is and you need to give them all your money? And then at the end of it, it says, just remember, past performance is not indicative of future results. Wait, 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 wait a minute. You want me to give you all my money, and then you, but you're telling me don't count on getting it back? You don't count on it being what I'm telling you it's going to be? And you see that all the time with things. And, and, and you live in a culture, in a world, in which so often people don't keep their word. And you start becoming skeptical of everybody keeping their word. I mean, we're in this political season. I mean... You think about all the promises that are being made in the debates and, and in, in, the, in the ways when people come and, and they start talking about all the things they're going to do. And when the, when the election dust settles a year from now, and in January of 2017, when the next president takes office, they're not going to keep a lot of those promises. It might be because they don't really are plan to keep them, just telling us what we want to hear. It might be because they just can't keep those promises. It, it's too much. They, they don't have the power or the authority to do what they say they'd like to do. But whatever the case, a lot of the promises are not going to end up happening. And we know that. And we expect it. It's the kind of world in which we live. And when you live in a world like that long enough, it's, it's easy to think the same way about God. Which is one of the reasons why worship is so important. Because every Sunday we come for worship. And we are reminded that in a world that bombards us with messages and with, and with experiences in which people don't keep their word, we come to worship to be reminded God keeps his word. What God says, he does. That's why, that's why the... Uh, reading of scripture is so important because all day long we are put, we're put in places and in positions and we read and we see all these ways in which people don't keep their word and it's easy to get become cynical about everything including God and we need to read the scriptures because the scriptures remind us again and again and again God keeps his word. And God doesn't send the messenger. God doesn't keep his word because he has to. He doesn't keep his word because we begged him enough. It's just who he is. God is trustworthy. He keeps his word, period. It's his nature. He cannot not keep his word. 
And it's a part of the nature of God. I mean, it's all about the nature of God. We talk about how God acts compassionately, and actually we ought to be saying God is compassionate. Because God doesn't just act compassionately. It is who he is. God does not just care about justice. He is just. God does not just do good. He is good. He's loving. He's kind. It is who he is. It's his nature. And being trustworthy and faithful is who God is. And when God says, I am sending my messenger and it's going to completely change the world and all the dynamics of the world, we can count on it. And we know that Jesus has come, but we also know that Jesus is coming. And Jesus came and he came to bring this hope and the salvation and safety and all the promises of God. But ultimately... When he comes again, those will be fulfilled completely. And we live now, we live in the now, and we wait for the not yet. But it's the hope of the not yet that gives us hope for the now. Because God is good, and God is faithful, and God keeps his word. And I think the thing that fascinates me the most about this promise of God is that he makes it not after Israel has gotten their act together. He makes it while they're still being punished for the sin they've committed and not yet repented of. We get it and it makes sense because it's kind of how we do things. You know, we'll say people, okay... I'll do this for you, I'll forgive you, but let me see some, a little bit of proof. Let me see a little bit coming back at me so I know I'm not wasting my time, my energy, and all the things that I'm going to stick my neck out here. But not God. If God had to wait for us to get our act together, there would be no Christmas. There'd be no church. There'd be nothing. The reality is... Jesus comes and steps into our world just as it is. With all the chaos and all the sin and all the ways in which we warp and twist the truth about God. All the times we reject God. All the ways in which we have, we have hurt one another. And continue to do that. Into all of that mess, Jesus steps into it. And he comes into it in order to redeem it. And to redeem us. And the promises of God are not contingent on us measuring up to some standard. The promises of God are about him coming to us as we are and changing us. And giving us hope when we feel hopeless. And giving us life when we feel as if there is no life. And giving us grace when we could never deserve it. That's why Jesus comes.
He's asking of us to simply let him step into our lives. Last Sunday night, we gathered for the closing celebration at the end of the prayer vigil. After three weeks of praying, we got together as the last person finished up, and we spent some time singing together and praying together and sharing. And there was some great sharing as people talked about the ways in which their lives have been touched by coming to pray. And um, Linda Knapp came and stood before us and shared one of her experiences. And she gave me permission to share this with you today. And she said, you know, she made a reservation for her and her family to come and sort of had this expectation in her mind that of what it would be like to bring her family, her small children, into the prayer room. And I think, I got the impression from what she said, that she sort of had this in her mind that as soon as they walked through the doors, it was like this aura would just cause them to be perfect. You know? They would sit at the, sit at the chair, they would fold their hands, they would bow their head, they would pray, and for an hour that would be the scene, and it would just be this idyllic time. It was all, It would be awesome. And she shared with us that it didn't quite turn out that way. You know, she spent, she spent a lot of time breaking up arguments about who got the chalk and who got what color of chalk and who was going to write on the board and do the letters and all the different things that were in the room. And, and said it was just kind of maddening. And, and she shared with us something that I thought was, you know, so, so transparent. And she said, you know, I, we, we want to give a good image we want to present a, a, an image of people that we've got it together. And here I was looking around this room trying to police everything, and we were a mess. And it was embarrassing. Why didn't you want to see us like that? And, she, and it was as if then the Holy Spirit came to her and said, but isn't that why you're here? You don't come to the prayer room perfect and to just tell God how great things are. You come just as you are, mess and all, and let God minister to your life, and your spirit, and your heart. And as she was sharing that Sunday night, I could not help but think that's the story of the incarnation. God steps into our lives as messy and, and twisted and, and unholy as they can be sometimes. God steps into our selfishness and our bitterness and our anger and our hurt and our pain. He steps into it. He doesn't expect us to take care of it and get it all figured out. And then he comes to us. He comes to us so that something can be different. And that's our hope. And it doesn't matter if we've, if we've never taken a step of following Jesus or we've been doing this for 40, 50, 60 years. We're all on the journey. And we all have messes. And we all have struggles. And we all need Jesus in the middle of those. And the great promise of the incarnation, the great promise of Christmas, is that God does just that. 
And Jesus comes not because we don't sin anymore. He comes to free us, save us from our sins and from our struggles. He comes to step into our feelings of loneliness and abandonment to give us hope. He comes in in the moments when we may be making decisions that are completely contrary to what He wants. And He comes into those moments to give us grace. And that's the story of the coming of Jesus because that's the heart of God. My prayer is that as we move through this Advent season, God will help us to see that more clearly. And as the days go, go along, maybe we'll feel a little bit more hope, a little bit more grace, a little bit more joy, a little bit more peace. Not because we've done it, because he has. Holy Father, we want to thank you for your grace and mercy to us. We're overwhelmed. While we were yet sinners, Jesus came. And he keeps coming. Father, let us, give us the grace that we need to let you do in us what deep inside we want, we need. And we pray this for Christ.